Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. What a mess we have for all of you on this Friday weekend edition of Fantasy NBA Today because it's the Oklahoma City Thunder on tap. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, as construction vehicles kick off the beginning of this show. I'm Dan Vaspers. This is, of course, a sports ethos presentation, Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. I'm at Dan Vaspers. How many of you have actually done what I asked and went and followed Ethos Fantasy FB or Ethos Fantasy BB? How many of you have done it? Anybody? Hands up? You got to do it, man. I'm going to keep asking. I'm begging of you all. I want to get those things fired up here. Baseball's already in full swing. Football's right around the corner. Football season starts in like two months. I think. That's like if I came to you in August and started talking to you about basketball. You'd think, this makes sense. Yeah, football's not that far away. Ethos Fantasy FB, Ethos Fantasy BB on Twitter. Just take a second, pause the show, go do it. I'm going to ask you a couple times every show through the offseason until you do it. We also have a little playoff stuff to rehash here. Um, It actually wasn't that long ago that we talked about the playoff series odds. But they have shifted a tiny bit here after Boston smoked Miami yesterday. So it wasn't a full zigzag, by the way. We went one and one on those plays had we dove in on them. Uh, Game still went over. Um, but Boston obviously won by quite a lot. Quite a lot. What are the, what do we got for the current playoff series odds? Well, we'll dive into those. We got current playoff series odds. We're going to break down each of the next games. One of them tonight, of course, that's game two, Dallas in Golden State. And then Miami and Boston tomorrow, Saturday. Boston a six-point home favorite, so pretty good swing from game to game, thanks to what we saw in the last one, uh, with a total of 207.5. What order we're going to do those things in, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. I guess we can do... I guess we can do the series prices? Probably should have planned this out before coming on air, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Series prices. Here's where we're at now. Miami now a plus 225 underdog. This has been a very fun series to bet, and we're only two and a half, two, and then the, you know, the day to today. Games into this thing. Boston was a small favorite when the series started. What was it, like minus 140, 50? I already forgot what it was. Anyway, we took Miami at the underdog price. We also had Miami in that game one with Boston exhausted. Then it flipped. Miami became a short favorite. Boston a short underdog. We were able to get underdog price on both sides. Now it's flipped back farther. Boston a larger favorite now that they've stolen home court advantage, which they didn't have before the series started. Now it's back to even at 1-1. Miami at plus 225. Boston minus 275. If you think the Heat take either game in Boston... You could actually get back in on Miami for another small wager at plus 225. And then who knows, if the Heat take one of those two games, get home court back, maybe it flips back to something like 
Miami at a very short dog price. And I think it will be different based on whether they grab game three or game four or none, which is also a possibility. I will say this, though. We're already set up. There's this innate desire in sports betting to, well, it's FOMO, fear of missing out. Nobody wants to miss out on an underdog price. Boston, as we figured, would get even after a rough game one. I thought game two would be tighter. I didn't know who was going to win, but I thought it was going to be a good ball game. Boston just ran away with it. But we knew they were going to play better in that one. Do they continue to get better, or do we now kind of see Boston's letdown game? And then did we see a little bit of a Miami letdown game? Doesn't matter. Here's the beauty part. We don't need FOMO because we already got it. We got underdog price on both teams after a game. We had Miami before the the series started. We had Boston after game one. We get underdog price on both. It's a win. This whole series is a win. But I will say then, looking back or looking now forward towards tomorrow, and I don't know why that picked it in this order since I probably should have talked about the Friday stuff happening first, but whatever, doesn't matter. You get we got plenty of time. Boston by six with a total two oh seven and a half. Do we think that the total at two oh seven and a half and rising is gonna start overreacting to a series that hasn't been nearly as fast, specifically on the Boston side, as 220-something points would indicate. Because we've had that in each of the first two games. First one was actually kind of quick. Second one slowed down a little bit. Turnovers were low. Free throws came down. But efficiency was nuts. Boston hit 23-pointers in Game 2 on 51% from the field. 23 free throws, and they shot 91% at the line, and only nine turnovers. They did everything right on offense. 84 field goal attempts, 127 points. If you want to fuzzy math it, you say nine turnovers gives you about 93 possessions plus the free throws. Call it 11-ish, 11 and a half, 104, 105 possessions for 127 points. That's pretty monstrous. Over on the Miami side, inefficient. Inefficient. They had about 110 possessions and didn't hit that many three-pointers. They had 10. I guess not that terrible. 44% is not that brutally awful. Uh, but overall, just not quite as good. So again, missed shots. Kind of inflated the number of possessions a little bit. Still, we're talking about more like 215 as possession count if we're, again, kind of fuzzy mathing it in Game 2. In Game 1... Boston only had 79 field goal attempts, but 16 turnovers, that's 95. 32 free throws, call it another 16, that's 111. Miami was around 109, 110, so that was closer to 220 in terms of possessions. So yes, it's slowing down a little bit. And then what we've seen so far is that when Boston dictates a tempo of a game, they prefer it to be a bit slower. I think we might have a little bit of an underbubble developing here for Game 3. Game one, the line was way too low. We knew that. Game two, I thought maybe it might sneak under as it kind of came back the other direction. It didn't slow down nearly fast enough. And at some point, we're going to have a game where the teams make their adjustment and defense wins out. It feels like that's this one. Side, I have no idea. None. I'm not even going to venture a guess on the side. 
The other series, Warriors minus 445 after being up a game to nothing on Dallas at plus 330. Uh, I mean, what we saw in game one, Warriors were a five to five and a half point favorite. They won by a million. Sorry, it wasn't a million. It was 25. Still pretty good size win. Total was 216 and a half. Finished at 216 and a half in that ballgame. It went under because Dallas couldn't hit a shot. Some of the advanced metrics on game one tell a different story. And that story is, for one, Golden State was very, very good. Um, they were, again, if we're, if we're going to do the fuzzy math game, they had about 105 possessions, 112 points. Turnovers were too high. Free throws were very low. So that covered for the fact that they shot really, really well. It didn't go soaring over the expected mark on the Golden State side. They only outscored what they were expected to by, like, five or six points. And then on the Dallas side, way under the expected mark. They had about 110 looks, but shot 36%, 67% at the free throw line. I mean, it was all bad. Yeah, badly out-rebounded in that ballgame. But, that'll, I mean, that'll happen when you don't have that many defensive rebounds. Also of note, Dallas had about, I think it was 40-something three-point attempts in Game 1. I don't have that number right in front of me. They made 11 of them. Uh, 40, something like 90 to 95% of their three-point looks were open, and they just couldn't hit them. Other than Spencer Dinwiddie and sort of Reggie Bullock, Everybody else was pretty was quite bad. Jalen Brunson had a bad ball game. Kleba only hit one. Dorian Finney-Smith only hit one of his three-point tries. And even the guys that hit him could have hit him at a better clip. They shot 36%. I mean, I don't think we need to go a whole lot farther than that. So I would say the expectation here is that, first of all, if you, again, play the fuzzy math game, Dallas had about 110 possessions Warriors had about 105 so it's about around 215 which is pretty close to where the total was in that ball game and it's come down not surprisingly because of how poorly Dallas shot the ball in game one totals come down open to 214 and it's down a little bit off of that I will say I think I've said that a couple times in the pod. One other note on this game is that the Warriors blew out Dallas in game one, but the line, the side, only moved by about a point. Warriors opened at six and a half point favorites. It's actually come down a little bit to six in a lot of places, still hovering at six and a half in others. I think that reflects odds makers saying, we really don't believe in game one. We think we're going to see more Warriors money here in Game 2 because of how badly they beat the Mavs in the first one. But we also know that if we inflate this number much more, we're going to get crushed with big bets on the Mavs. Just get crushed. And then as the total goes, yeah, we had to bring it down a little bit because we saw the last one go way under. But if the Mavs had any kind of offensive efficiency, the ball game actually would have gone over. I mean, the Warriors scored what they needed to to get that game to the posted total. Can they do it again? Dallas did a pretty good job of slowing the ball game down, and they're going to continue to do that. I don't love the over as much as I might if this number was down a little bit further, but I do think that it's creeping that direction. I think right now that you're looking at a number that's probably relatively close, lean to the over, lean to the Mavericks to have a nice bounce-back performance here in Game 2 which I know is kind of the same thing we talked about with the last game, too. I think that these games, when you see blowouts, things of that note, of that note, 
you lines tend to be pushed a bit farther than they should be. You see a team win by a ton, the side moves in their direction. You see a game go over or under by a ton, the total moves in that direction. And that's why, and I said it on yesterday's show, I thought the zigzag was actually in play in these very rare circumstances because we had an embarrassingly bad performance by Boston in game one of their series in Miami. Everybody's talking about how bad their third quarter was and how high scoring the game was. Well, it went over again, so that one didn't play out, but Boston bounced back. Everybody now is talking about how bad Dallas was in game one, how hard it was for them to adjust to the Warriors' style of play, when in fact, we all want to make more out of something than it actually is. Game ones for teams after a seven-game series are brutal. It's almost always the case. I can't say always because nothing is 100% in betting in life. But it's almost always the case. And we, we want to pin it on a million things. Dallas missed their open shots. Yes, why? Tired legs. Boston had a ton of turnovers in the third quarter. Why? Tired legs. Third quarter is oftentimes when you see stuff like that take shape. Remember in the olden days when teams had to go back-to-back into altitude in Denver after playing a late-night West Coast game? That barely happens anymore because schedulers don't like it. Or four games in five nights. Those things almost always manifested themselves in the third quarter. Teams had enough adrenaline to get them through the first. They had the bench played enough to get them through part of the second. Halftime, it all wore off. There weren't enough Red Bulls in the universe to get teams through third quarters in those big fatigue spots. And for Dallas, they just they hung in there a little bit, but it wasn't long. And Warriors just slowly pulled away. Tired legs. You saw it in game two. Boston didn't have tired legs anymore. Neither would Dallas. They're going to score some points in this one. They're going to dictate pace a little bit. So that's why I don't like the over that much. But I certainly think Dallas coming back on the side is a way to look at it. And if the Warriors are going to win this one and cover, they're going to have to do it late. It's not going to be a romp like game one. This is going to be a good one. The Oklahoma City Thunder. Man, it's a shame that that one fell on a Friday because it is going to be, with warnings, the best warning I can give, disclaimer, an ugly one. Because the Thunder were in strict tank mode, and there's no clear path out of it. The only paths they had out of Thunder mode were with guys that they ultimately traded away. Rehab projects, show teams that they that veterans still had stuff left in the tank, ship them off for stuff. Thunder have all the stuff in the universe, including a number two pick in this upcoming draft. I think they also have a pick in the teens in this upcoming draft. I really have no idea what they're going to do because the Thunder had one of the longest lists of players who actually saw time when they were on the court this year. Like, a lot of teams... What, what's the number here? Thunder had uh, 12, 16. They had 20 players uh, that finished the team that actually... Or, or most recently played a game with Oklahoma City. This is not to, I'm not digging in too much on whether or not a guy got moved mid-season. I think they did have one or two guys that kind of went in and out sort of deal. But like that number is not that crazy. Um you know, if you look at Cleveland, they had 18 players this year. Brooklyn only, believe it or not, had 15 guys that finished the year on the Nets that where their last game was in Brooklyn. New York had 17 
Uh, I don't feel like the Lakers had a crap ton. Actually, they were only at 17 also. So, uh, you know, I guess it is a little bit more anomalous than I thought. Um, Boston, 17. It seems like most teams in the NBA had around between 15 and 18 guys that finished the year with the team. Wizards are at 18 also. The Thunder, 20. So right there, you already know this was sort of an anomalous situation. They had 20 guys whose last game this year, that's the best way I can sort this, was with Oklahoma City. And the crazy part is that out of those 20 guys, only six averaged under 20 minutes a game in their time with Oklahoma City. And also, arguably even weirder, two of those six were the veteran centers. Mike Muscala averaged 14 minutes a game. Derek Favors averaged 17. The other guys who averaged under 20 minutes a game for the Thunder this year? Ty Jerome at about 17. Theo Maladone at 18. Lindy Waters, 19. And Georges Kalitsakis. Yorgos, 16. It's also worth noting that Lindy Waters and Theo Maladone played almost starters minutes at the end of the year. So they were, that was, those were trending up. At the end of this season, eight Thunder regulars were ruled out for the duration, however long that ended up being. Shea was ruled out with a couple weeks to go. Darius Baisley, Lou Dort, Josh Giddy was with like a month and a half to go. Muscala, who we just talked about. Kenny Hustle with a couple weeks left. Ty Jerome, who we just talked about. Derek Favors. Eight shutdowns on a team that, again, played 20 guys this year. And then you've got this, including the shutdown guys, a lot of dudes that played big minutes when they got to play. Shea, 35 minutes. Baisley, 28. Dort, 33. Giddy, 32. Isaiah Roby, Alexi Pokashevsky actually averaged only around 20, 21 minutes a game, but they went through long stretches. We all remember it, where they were playing close to 30. Trey Mann, 23. Aaron Wiggins, 24. Vit Krejci at the end of the year, 30. Or sorry, 23 minutes in 30 games. Jalen Horde, 34 minutes. Xavier Simpson played about 44 minutes a game when everybody was shut down and nobody could, no one else could play. Melvin Frazier averaged almost 40 minutes a game. Tank Central. And the problem with a Tank Central team is that, when, especially when there's no real hope in sight of a quick turnaround, the Thunder are not about to magically make a playoff run next year. They're owed some amount of money, or they owe some amount of money to Kemba Walker. Uh, their payroll is actually higher next season than this last one because Shea already signed his extension. Derek Favors, contract year, he'll get traded next season. Kemba Walker's already gone. Mike Muscala, team option for three and a half mil. They probably pick that up and try to move him midseason. And then it's just young guys, just like piles and piles of three and four or five million dollar contracts. Giddy at six with the first round pick. They'll have a first round pick coming in that'll make around six or seven million dollars this coming year also. Or is it eight? Doesn't matter. Somewhere in that neck of the woods. But 
Pokushevsky's still on the books for his small deal. Trey Mann, Darius Baisley, Ty Jerome, Maladone, Jeremiah Robinson, Earl, Kenrich Williams, veteran for $2 million. He could get traded this coming year. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Because next season is going to be almost a carbon copy. The only way that this thing turns around for the Thunder is if they make a sweeping move where they pile four of their ridiculous cache of picks together and go try to get a stud and say, all right, we're going to start, you know, we're going to build something. Instead of from the ground up, we're going to try to inject something here. Because right now, like, whatever they get at number two in this coming draft, I'm sure that's going to be fine. And next year, Giddy will play more minutes and maybe Dort doesn't get fully shut down, but he seems to be banged up pretty good. Baisley, Shea, who cares? I say who cares with a certain level of affection, I guess, but I don't know how you draft almost any player on the Thunder in a head-to-head format because you, it's a total crapshoot as to which of these guys is actually going to be logging minutes towards the end of the year. Who? I mean, look, look at the game logs for the Thunder this year. Look at the game log. Look at who was playing uh, at, at the end of the season. It was crazy. Who was the, what was the last game of the year? What did the Thunder have to finish off the regular season? Oh, they were in L.A. They played the Clippers, and they, they lost by 50. Good ball game. Glad, I'm glad we all got to see it. Ugh. Oh, my Lord. Like, this is, that's not, that's terrible basketball. Thunder actually won the second quarter in that game in kind of a weird little footnote. But Kalatsikis played all 48 minutes of that game. Georges Kalatsikis. Have you, uh, yeah. Who we just talk about? Javier Simpson? Is that right? I don't know. I already forgot his last name. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Jalen Horde, 45. Krejci, 40. Isaiah Roby only played 18, but then Melvin Frazier played 43 off the bench in that game. You want to tell me that this is a team you're willing to take a shot on? What about their last win of the year against the tanking Blazers, the tank-off? That was about a week earlier, April 5th, a few days left. Oh, my goodness. Jalen Hort, 46 minutes. Simpson, 44. Roby played 43 in that one. Georges Kalatsekis, 43. Vid Krejci, 21. Olivier Saar, who got cut. He wasn't even on that list we talked about a minute ago. He played 39 off the bench, and then they let him go. No one. No one. Isaiah Roby was the closest you got there to someone that we had kind of heard of on this team. They're not play-in ready next year without a big adjustment. Shea will probably get overdrafted despite the rough year. Now, in a Roto League, you could look at it. You could say, okay, well, you know, let's let's actually take a look at this. His per-game ranking was solid. He was a third-rounder per game, 24.5 points per game, uh, five boards, six assists, 1.3 steals, 0.8 blocks, good free throw, or decent free throw, not great, but decent, uh, one-and-a-half three-pointers. Like, he did the across-the-board stuff that was useful. He was the only Thunder regular to get inside the top 100, so you can pretty much wipe other dudes off the board. Josh Giddy is going to be a popular guy 
on draft night because he has triple-double appeal. And I do think he takes a step forward. So it's worth taking a gander at, particularly on the Roto side. Head-to-head, any one of these guys is a shutdown candidate. Again, I didn't think that they were going to shut down Josh Giddy after only 54 games, but they did. They did. Can't afford to win. You've got to get into that top group, and they did. Got the number two overall pick. It worked. It worked. So why wouldn't they do it again if it's working? Pile them up. Pile them up. Where do I think these guys get drafted? That's a fun little exercise to do, and maybe we can point back at this show and say, hey, did Dan even come close on his guess? I think Shea probably goes... My guess would be around 50 this coming year, but I really don't know. I I think the shutdown element drives his price tag down, and so there is some appeal there because, you know, it's, it's that Porzingis thing we've talked about before. He was number 72 by totals this year, missed 26 ball games. If he did that again, 56 games of a third round value, I would take him in the 50s for that. Like I'd be I'd be okay with that as my 5th round pick. Even though he didn't hit his mark by totals in roto games cap, I'm perfectly fine filling in the other 26 games at his slot with guys that I'm picking up off the wire. I don't want to and if he's I have to make sure he's healthy to start the year, but the shutdown on the roto side is less concerning to me if I can get 55 to 60 games out of him. Because at that point, then again, you're, you know, you're getting a totals value in the 70s, which is not all that far off the price tag of maybe late 50s if he goes in that neck of the woods. But look, at the end of the day, he scored 25 points a game. He's still Shea. He's still the leader on that team. So he probably doesn't get underdrafted by enough for me. If he's going in the 40s, I'm not doing it. 50s, I'm considering it. 60s, I would definitely do it. So he probably won't fall that far. And then I'm not drafting Lou Dort. Uh, there's just not enough to his fantasy game. He's he's a chucker. He's chucking threes. He plays good defense, but it doesn't materialize in a big steal or block count. There were moments where he got close this year, but no. Josh Giddy's the one I would think about, um, but I think people are going to be very excited about him, and so I, I do worry that the price tag's going to be a little bit on the high side. When again, you're looking at a possible shutdown dude who... Will he get more steals next year? I don't know. Will his free throw percent improve? Probably a little bit. Will his field goal percent improve? Eh, maybe not. Scoring boards, assists, I would assume scoring does come up a little bit. Rebounds probably doesn't get any better. Assists, I don't, I don't know that those go up all that much as long as Shea is still around. So yeah, I mean, you're looking at a guy for Giddy where you need him to take a step forward in scoring and percentages. And it's possible. Those things can happen, the jump between first and second year. But where does that actually elevate him to? From 156 was his per-game ranking this year because the percentages were so brutal and the defensive stats were not big enough to offset it, where does that put him? If you fix all three of those things and he suddenly becomes 15, 8, and 6.5 at 44% from the field and let's call it 76% at the free-throw line that probably still puts him in kind of like the 80 to 100 range. So it's not like he's going to be a a mondo difference maker. It's Draymond Green with a little more points, but not the defense. The whole reason you'd want a guy like that is for the defense. 
I don't know. He probably goes too early. Giddy's probably going to get drafted 75-80, and to me, that's probably the, the high watermark for him, especially with the shutdown stuff looming. And then I don't see how I touch anybody else on this team. Alexei Pokoshevsky was fun when he was starting and playing high 30s minutes per game, but if all of these guys actually start the year playing, I don't know how we expect that'll come through. And then I don't know if the number two pick is going to get slotted in. Not a guy I'm drafting because shutdown candidate, young players, all that stuff. The only way I would look at a number two pick here with Thunder. Okay, let, let me... Let me dial that part back just a little bit, and then we'll we'll get into wrap-up here on the show. There's a, there's a chance that the Thunder rookie is actually the most likely player I would look at if it's a bigger guy. Because that's a spot on the floor for OKC that's been open for years. They don't have a player that they really want to build around at power forward or center. Sure, Darius Baisley played more this last year, but is he the solution on that team? I don't think so. They like Giddy, they like Shea, they like Dort, and they're fine with everybody else, but it's kind of mix and match. They're playing with stuff. Baisley got close to being someone that they were like, okay, we're, we're going to make you a guy we trust a little bit, but look, he's just not that great. So if they bring in a medium to large size player who's not horrible at foul shooting, that might be your squeaker. And again, realizing that that player will probably get shut down, you might be able to get, I don't know, 60-something games out of them, you hope, and maybe they beat their ADP. I can't believe that I said that about a potential rookie, but that's your path here on the Thunder and a team that's probably going to be throwing the end of the season away again. Tough, but true. I Like, I don't know how they... How do they get those extra 10 wins to compete for a play-in spot? Maybe they start the year strong and they, and, you know, at some point management's like, all right, we can't, we just can't lose anymore. We got to at least show ourselves to try it. That's a big roll of the dice, though, with a team you know would benefit from more upper crust picks in another draft. And then maybe after that, that's the time you do it. Because, uh, like we said, the Kemba money, which is diminished because he is playing elsewhere. Is would be coming off the books. The Derek Favors money comes off the books. They're going to trade these guys. They're going to try to get more assets. It does feel like this coming year, you're probably looking at one more semi-tank or even full tank, and then probably starting the up climb. But anything's possible. If you've got the stones for it, I don't. Uh, our guys over on the Fantasy Pass are dropping their piece today. I believe they have the Thunder today and then the Pistons over the weekend. I might be wrong about that. I got to go back and see if I can. They they Steve gave me a calendar on that one, and, and now I've forgotten the order of things. Uh, they're actually going Detroit today, Thunder tomorrow, Indiana and, uh, over the weekend. We don't have weekend shows here on this podcast, so they'll get out in front of us a little bit. What I haven't decided is if I want to sort of jump in with them with Portland on Monday, because they'll have the Blazers on Monday, or if I want to try to roll Monday's show into and just run behind by a few days. Haven't decided yet. Either way, we'll talk some more playoffs on Monday. Uh, We do have more Yahoo recap stuff to do. That'll be blended in there before they shut down their fantasy basketball pages for the offseason, so we got to fit all that in. Um, but luckily we have the advantage of time off season show number 30 in the books, May 20th. Come on. We can get there. Everybody, we can get there if we stay together.
I'm Dan Vespers. For Fantasy NBA Today, go check out Fantasy MLB and Fantasy NFL Today. Please, guys, I beg of you all. All right, love you. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you on Monday. This is a Sports Ethos presentation and always will be. Later. Later.